15, starting at verses 11 to 32, page 990 in the Green Bible. The parable of the lost sheep. Now the, um, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who, had sent, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because of him. He was back with him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Great, Naomi. Thank you very much for reading. I'd love you to keep that open, page 990 uh, and 991. Uh, what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to just speak with reference to this story, just for those of us who are, are visiting today. We believe here that um, this, this uh, is no ordinary book. It's like food. Um, you know when you take a bit of bread or something, you eat it, and it get, it, 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 the bit of bread becomes transformed as, it, as we eat it and digest it, and it gives us the energy to live. Food changes us, and we believe that uh, 
when we, this is no ordinary book, when we read it and kind of engage with it, concepts and ideas, they go in our head, but as we allow God's spirit to kind of transform them, then his truth transforms us. And that's what we're doing here. We're, we're giving ourselves not just to retain information in our minds, but to receive transformation to live by. So to that end, I'm going to ask that God helps me to speak. It's not because I'm an expert or I know it all. I'd, I'd much rather be with you, sitting in amongst you. That's where I feel I ought to be. It's just a bit easier to hear me, I guess, if I'm standing up here. All I'm doing is inviting you to join with me as we look at this story together. So, Father, to that end, I, I simply ask you would help me now. Take preparation and reflection and, Lord, by your spirit, feed us this morning that our lives may be changed and transformed. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Um, again, forgive me, we've, we, what we're doing uh, for the whole of this term, just uh, those who are uh, new here today, is we've been looking at the story that Jesus told of the, um, of the two lost sons. His father had two sons. And what I'm going to do is just focus on one little phrase. It's... Um, this uh, verse here, verse 21, and also it's repeated in verse 19. Let me read verse 19. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, the younger son says in his story. Make me like one of your hired servants. I want to look, as you can see from this uh, pink sheet that was in the Bibles, th these are the kind of headings I'm going to whip through today. I want to look at the significance of sonship in Jesus' day, the significance of spiritual adoption today, our sonship, if you like. I want to look at uh, spiritual adoption applied to us and the spiritual adoption applied by us. That's uh, my route march in the next few minutes. The significance of sonship in Jesus' day. To be a son, and we might culturally translate that a son or a daughter, was an issue of status as much as it was something that was just handed down to you, so something natural. Sonship conferred status. The reason is because in those days, um, the family name was so important. It, 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 it basically said, this family belongs in this community. Be it, you know, the, the, the Bannisters or the Stilwells or the Leafs or the Addenbrooks or who, whichever family they might be, the family name and every individual member of that family belong. They have a place here. We may not like the Stilwells. We may think they smell, but they still belong. They may be mean-spirited and ungenerous. They still belong. They may be unsociable or throw raucous parties. They still belong. And the family had land. And that was the way in which wealth was generated through the land. Unlike today, where we have independent means of wealth generation, you, you can invest money in stocks and shares. And, and you can rejoice in, in stories, as we often do, of people who've gone from rags, literally nothing, to riches. That kind of story of generated wealth, independent of the family or of inherited means, would be unknown in Jesus' day. You required the land. It was your basic economic unit. 
And sons, in particular, inherited the land, inherited the family name, inherited their sense of belonging, their sense of significance. They inherited everything from their fathers. It was passed on. That's why you had to be really careful with how you packaged up the land. You didn't divide it off too much. That's why usually the, the firstborn son got a significant proportion of the land. Because otherwise you would, you would uh, tease out and dilute the wealth of the family if you, if you split it up too much. Can you see how alarming these statements are now in this story when we think of just how important was the land, the wealth, the inheritance to successive sons? When the son says, or when Jesus rather says in this story, uh, verse 13, he takes his inheritance, the property from the father, and he goes off to a distant country, verse 13, and squandered his wealth. Jesus here is in those days would have heard that to mean he literally, he, he committed suicide. In throwing away his wealth, he threw away every means of significance, security, provision, family name. He threw it all away. He wasted it. He became nothing. Not only that, what's even more shocking is when we see what he says in uh, verse 19. As he prepares this speech to come back to the father, he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. It's like saying, I don't exist. What other form of status, what other form of identity was there back then? You, there was no such thing as the self-made man. I am no longer worthy to be called your son means I'm no longer worthy to exist. Can you see the significance for us as we apply this? And the truth, the biblical truth of our adoption to God's Father, uh, to God's family in Jesus' name. Let me just read you a couple of, well, I'll just read one verse from Paul's letter to the Romans. It, it, on the sheet, you can see there's another reference in Galatians. I won't look at that. But just look what Paul says to the Christians in Rome. Page 1071, if you want to, to look at this. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Here's the question. How did the younger son become a son again? I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So how is it that he's... He becomes a son again, and as we've seen, those of us who've been following the series, it's through the sacrifice of the older brother. The father's given all his property away. The younger son has squandered all his property. The only one in the story who has property is the older son. The younger son can be welcomed back at the expense of the older son, and we see the tension of the story is that the older son, the older brother, wants no part of it. And Jesus, who's telling the story, is effectively saying, hey, can you see that I am the true, the real, the genuine older brother? And as Christians, we've come to recognize, as Paul pointed out there, that Jesus gave up his right as a son. He became a servant. He died the death of a slave 
in order that we could be released from slavery to sin. In order that we might be counted as sons and daughters. And it's the Spirit of God that works that knowledge and understanding deep into our lives. So that we become profoundly grateful for what God has already done in receiving us into his family as sons and daughters. Third heading, our spiritual adoption applied to us. What does it mean for us to be a son or a daughter of the living God? I want to suggest, first of all, that it means deep security with our Father. Deep security with our Father. If you chat to the Waldemar Browns who are around here, ask them about adoption. Adoption is not the gradual change in nature. It is about a once and for all legal transaction. It, it, is, it, is, a, it is a description of status. That little boy, Cain Joel, is now every bit a part of their family by adoption as their two lovely daughters. Legally prescribed, legally defined, adoption is legal status, and there's nothing that Cain Joel can do anymore, or be, there's nothing he can be in and of himself anymore to be any more adopted into their family and to be counted as their son. Years of bureaucracy, and yet decided that the signing of a document, irrevocable, irreversible, that is who he is. And it's the same for us. And that's the source of our security. It is because of the legal basis of our adoption. The, the, the transaction that took place on the cross when Jesus died in our place, he effectively assigned the adoption papers so that we could become children, sons and daughters, by spiritual adoption. That's the basis of our security. Every single one of us struggle with that. I wrestle with that. I've been wrestling with that this week. As I go through the way in which I've been formed, my upbringing, my schooling, my parenting, the, the, the way I was parented. Uh, my parents are wonderful, but all I'm saying is that, and I see it actually as I parent my children, so much conditionality. If you work hard at school, you'll get good grades. If you work hard at work, you'll get promotion. All the goodies, all the good things in life, we work at them. We, we, we earn them. Our reputation, our CV, all the different things on my, my CV. Because I've worked hard to get them there. It's deeply endemic in our culture. And it's so counter the gospel. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. There's nothing we can do to earn the right to be a child of God, a son or a daughter. It is conferred upon us. It's a gift. The father won't hear the protests of the younger son before he puts the robe on him, puts a ring on him, puts the sandals on his feet before he celebrates and brings him home. It's a gift. And it's that gift of God once we recognize it and receive it that provides such deep, deep 
security. Look at it this way. The younger son. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. Make me earn my way back to you. Think about that. Where is the security? Where is the security in being a hired man, an employee? Your place of work, whatever it is you, you do. When, when, you're, when, you, when your significance, your security, your status is too, too tightly tied to what you do, what happens when someone else does it better? What happens when you mess up? What happens when we make a mistake? You see, as employees, we can be moved on. We can be sidelined. We can be dismissed. And the very knowledge that what we do can be just made redundant, undermines the security of the whole job itself. We, we talk about, don't we, about job security. And we need to be careful that what we're saying there is we're, we're differentiating the di between job security and my security. My job might be uncertain, insecure. These are difficult times. But that doesn't affect who I am because I already have Conferred legal status, child of God. See, if a son messes up, we may have to sort one or two things out, but he's still a son. Look at, uh, look at verse 24. I've just lost my place, but I think it's verse 24. Yeah. When the father explains to the older brother about the younger son, he says, For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This son was dead. He doesn't say this corpse of mine was dead. He says this son of mine. It doesn't matter what the younger son has done. He's still a son. Now, sure, there is um, kind of, you know, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of relationship building to be done, a lot of things to be repaired, a lot of new patterns to put in place. That's what Christians call sanctification, the, the practice of becoming more and more like God. But it's built on the basis of the security of knowing that we are children of God. It's not what you do that determines who you are. It's who you are that shapes and determines what you do. Deep security. Secondly, intimate access. Uh, I researched this on Prince Charles. Prince Charles is the Prince of Wales. He's the Duke of Cornwall. He's the Knight of the Garter. He's the Duke of Rothsay. He's the commander of the Royal Navy. He's the great master of the Royal Order of Bath. He's the Earl of Chester, the Baron of Renfrew, Lord of the Isles, and great steward of Scotland, among other titles. But to William and Harry, he's dad. Our spiritual adoption means that we can come to God Almighty, judge of the earth, creator of all that is, and say, our Father, my Father. The Spirit cries, Abba, Father, within us. We recognize who we are in relationship to him because of our spiritual adoption. He's our Father. I'm his child. Thirdly, future hope. Future hope. In Jesus' day, sons inherited everything from their father. 
And that's true via spiritual adoption. We inherit everything. The Bible says that one day every aspect of God's character, the, 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 the full essence of God, will be released in us through Jesus Christ. If we have come into new relationship with God through Jesus Christ, if we're filled by his spirit, then the work of the spirit is to bring us to that day when one day God is fully released in us. What a hope. That's why Paul says we are uh, co-heirs with Christ, heirs of God. Not because of anything we've done. We haven't earned any of that. It's been given to us. And the challenge for us is to receive it. And in receiving it, to be filled with hope, even if in our present experience we, we go through test or trial or suffering. I know there are a number of you going through severe tests or trials at the moment related to work or relationships or whatever it might be, how can you endure them by knowing that actually God has promised an inheritance? It's yours, secure. And that is enough by the Spirit's help to see us through the severest test. He's promised not to put us beyond what we can cope or handle. And he's saving for us a rich inheritance. Finally, Spiritual adoption applied by us. If that's what God has done for us in Christ, what it means to be a child of God, then what does this mean for one another? It means, very briefly, that we are brothers and sisters. If we share the same Heavenly Father as we recited in the baptism liturgy earlier, it means that I'm a brother to Rianne in spiritual terms. And that we are all brothers and sisters. What that means is that you know, we're, we're, more, we're, not, we're not just sort of members here of a religious organization. We, we are God's family. There's a challenge for us. You know, you, you can, we can choose which church we want to belong to. You can kind of go around, move to the area, live in the area, and you think, well, there's a number of churches around here. Why don't I go and sort of check them all out? I often encourage newcomers to do that, that they're checking us out. Find, check out others. Make sure that this is the kind of church you'd want to be part of. But having chosen to commit to a church, let's say this church, we are no longer free to choose who we get to know within it. There is no biblical mandate, thanks to the doctrine of adoption, there is no biblical freedom to pick and choose friendships within the church. No cliques, no sort of groups of people like us, all the Elderly with the elderly and the young with the young and the singles with the singles and the marriage with the marriage and whatever it might be. Because we have a, a, a far deeper bond than that. A sacrificial bond of love that means that we will sacrifice ourselves in relation to others. Just as in a family, you, you can't choose your brothers or sisters. You, you, they, they are just, they're a given. You don't say, well, I'll have that one as a brother and that one as a sister. It doesn't work like that. Nuclear families learn to get along, to recognize and embrace differences, and to see a, a, a deeper bond of love gluing individual members together. So it is with the church. And to apply the doctrine of adoption for us here, it is for us to be transparent one to another. You know, in, in our family, you can't keep secret for long if someone's unhappy. Or if someone's got a bit of a grudge or someone's feeling out of sorts. 
sooner or later it will become apparent. And sooner or later we have to sort of pause and say, okay, hang on, wait a minute, what's going on here? How easy is it for us to operate like brothers and sisters in the church? So that when someone says to us, how are you? And we say, fine. But are we in a place where we could say if we weren't fine? And if you've asked that question, are you in a place where you can hear an answer that you weren't necessarily expecting and act accordingly with sacrificial love because this is a brother or a sister that you're engaging with? To what extent do we hide things from one another? See, if we were like the bridge club just up the road, the thing about everyone who joins that bridge club is that bridge, playing bridge, that's the common thing. But it's, it, that's the only focus, you're playing bridge. And you're kind of chatting to someone next to you and you say, um, do you really think you should send your children to that school? Why are you dating that person? See, in the bridge club, they go, uh, can we just play bridge, please? Because that's why we're here. You know, back off. Get out of my life. It's none of your business. But it's family. See, th- those are the questions we have permission lovingly, sensitively, mutually. Those are the questions we have permission to ask one another as we seek to grow and develop family because that's who we are. Brothers and sisters together with the same Heavenly Father for the liturgy we've just rehearsed this morning. That's a challenge. I know I've... Some people, they look at our mission statement and they say, it sounds a little bit sort of pathetic, you know, a Christ-centered family. I think, gosh, have you ever lived in a family? Hey, a Christ-centered club, that's pretty easy. I can just choose who I want to be with and it doesn't really matter. But a Christ-centered family, there's a challenge. Are you up for it? It, it? It'll be an impossible challenge for us to meet unless we understand the gift of spiritual adoption, unless we've learned to receive the grace of God, the love of God that enables us by His Spirit to say, Abba, Father. Not, oh God, you're too terrifying. Let me see if I can earn my way towards you. I'll kind of hold on to my rights. I sacrifice my rights. I receive your love. And I recognize that your love means there are no holds on what I'll do in return. I'll live sacrificially for you and sacrificially for my brothers and sisters because we are all part of one Amazing family. The gift of spiritual adoption. Let's stand together. I'm going to invite the uh, musicians back. They're going to sing one final song. But just before we do, let's just have a moment of quiet. Opportunity for us to reflect on the food that God gives us through his word. just wonder whether there are maybe one or two of us here this morning who've known about God, maybe for years and years and years, but maybe never quite found it able, yourself able to say, I know God personally, that he's Lord God or God Almighty, but have you ever called him Father? And pray to him. I want to say, and I'm conscious that our human fathers aren't always perfect, but you know, 
my experience is that when we call God Father, what he does is he heals the memories. He cleans out all the warps and distorted images we have of Father. He heals any pain, any abuse. When we learn to call the Holy God our Heavenly Father. Just as we stand, I'm going to invite the Spirit to come. It's the Holy Spirit who enables us to cry, Abba, Father. Spirit, as we stand this morning, we ask simply that you would come and fill us afresh. Maybe some of us for the very first time. Spirit, we recognize you are the one sent by the Father because of Jesus the Son. You're the one who lives in us, enables us to recognize God as Father. You're the one who calls us home. Father, we stand here this morning and we say we want to belong in your family. We want to know ourselves to be home, to receive the gift and the security and the knowledge of your wonderful adoption. We long for greater intimate access to you, Father. And for the bonds of love to grow amongst us. Now just as the father in the story called the younger son into the center of the feast and the celebration. I invite you just now in these last few moments. To see yourself the center of the Father's delight, the Father's pleasure, because of what Jesus has done. And as we come to sing this final song, maybe less a case of singing about God, you just to see it almost as an opportunity to sing to him. Just as a little child delights in performing and singing to her mum or dad. Sing to the Father. And as we sing, we're going to take up an offering uh, that goes towards the, the ministry and the work of the church. It's a kind of part of our worship. Please don't feel obliged to give you for visiting here. We'd love having you. So, so just as the bags come by, just feel free to pass them by unless you'd like to give uh, towards the ministry of the church here. Uh, but for home team and regulars, I hope you'll see this as an opportunity for uh, a part of our worship together. And we'll do that as we sing our final song.